This is an ABC podcast. Ninamani, Nainai Tiana, Naigana Nai Gangabina. Hello, are you good? My name is Tiana, my Ghana name is Gangabina, which means the caring one. To begin, it's important that we acknowledge the country that we are on. I'm on Ghana Yata, the lands of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. We would like to pay our respects to the custodians, to the ancestors that nurtured the land and the elders that have led the way for generations. This is your land, this is your country. It has always been Aboriginal land. And as this is a podcast whose reach is far and wide, we would like to extend our respect to the elders of the lands this recording might reach. This is the story of Makamura, the girl who painted the town red. Read by actress and singer Julia Zamiro. Slide away, slippery snails. It was Merka's job to catch snails in the veggie patch. But she didn't put a stone on the container lid like she was supposed to. Merka wanted the snails to escape. Liberté, escargot. Be free. When the snails disappeared, leaving shiny trails behind, Merka felt proud. After all, Merka Madeline Mora was from a family of escapees. Her mum escaped from Romania after her walnut and potato shop was ransacked. And her dad escaped from Lithuania, running through the forest, surviving on snake and monkey meat. They were Jewish, and that meant they were targets. In parts of Europe, Jewish people were being attacked for no good reason. Merka's parents met in France, but life was becoming unsafe there too. Grown-ups whispered about war. Police have been knocking on doors, targeting Jewish families, taking them away to awful places. Merka's mum and dad tried to carry on as if all was well. Girls, keep watch while we dance. They hosted lavish parties while Merka and her two sisters kept a lookout through the window. Merka usually loved parties, but no amount of merry music and fancy food could dull the sense of dread that was growing inside her. It was 1.30 in the afternoon. Jews, the policeman said. You're under arrest. Merka's dad was hiding with neighbours. They figured if he remained free, he could help save the rest of the family later. Merka, her mum and sisters were rounded up with thousands of other Jewish families. They were herded like animals into a sports stadium, the Velodrome d'Hiver. It was like a giant sardine can. There was no space to stretch your legs. The only toilets overflowed. Merka struggled to breathe. A glass roof locked fresh air out and boarded up windows locked people in. This is how the snails would have felt if I put a stone on their lid, Merka thought. I can't be trapped. I must be free. 
After three days and three nights, Mirka, her mum and sisters were shuffled onto a cattle train. It was dark, but Mirka narrowed her eyes, peering through slats of wood each time the train slowed down. Mirka whispered the names of railway stations as they blurred past. Her mum secretly scribbled them down in order on a piece of paper. She sealed the note in an envelope, addressed to Mirka's dad. It didn't have a stamp, but Mirka slipped it through the carriage slats. Please, she pleaded. Someone post our letter to Papa so that he can find us. The train came to its final stop at Pithiviers, a camp full of Jewish families, even more than were in the crowded sports stadium. Some of the children played, but Mirka didn't want to join in. All she wanted was freedom. Mirka circled the yard day in, day out, with her hands held in the prayer position. Dear Virgin Mary, please grant us liberté, she said. Let us be free. Mirka watched as families were herded again. They're being taken to another camp, she was told. It's called Auschwitz. Most won't make it out alive. Mirka's name was on the Auschwitz list. But the day before she was due to leave, a guard tapped her mum on the shoulder. You're going, he said. Back to Paris. Mirka's eyes widened. Paris? Her dad had received the letter. He'd managed to convince the guards to release them. Mirka stuffed her socks and undies with letters from other families. Tell them where we are, they said. Help us get home too. Mirka and her sisters clambered onto a waiting horse-drawn cart. Her mum was still in the camp. The guards were searching her for messages like the ones stuffed in Mirka's socks and undies. With each passing minute, the dread inside Mirka swelled. Hurry, Mama, hurry, Mirka pleaded with all her might. Just as the dread was about to swallow Mirka up, her mum appeared. She made it. The cartwheels squeaked. The horses heaved under the weight of the lucky and the liberated. Mirka looked back. Desperate, sad eyes stared through barbed wire at the slow-moving cart. Mirka's dread made way for a new feeling. It was guilt. While the Germans continued to round up Jewish people, Mirka's family hid in the forest. It was a strange and scary life, but Mirka tried not to be overcome by her dread and guilt. She filled her life with colour. She painted, drew pictures, wrote poems and read all the books she could get her hands on. Except one. You can't read that one, her dad said. It was a novel about a photographer who visited a city called Melbourne in Australia. Mirka's dad didn't want her dreaming of faraway places. He didn't want her tempted to leave France. 
But when another war loomed, Mirka remembered that book her dad didn't want her to read. I won't have my freedom threatened again, she said. I'm moving to Melbourne. Paris was one of the most glamorous cities in the world, the capital of haute couture and cuisine. Melbourne was different. In 1951, it was safe, slow and sleepy. Safe is good, Merker thought. As for the rest, we can shake this city up. Merka and her husband Georges opened Melbourne's first cafe with an espresso machine and the first restaurant licensed to sell wine. You have to have good coffee, good wine, so you can have good conversation, Merka said. And from conversation, great ideas come together and we can try to change the world. Merka's cafe, restaurant and even her home became a hotspot for some of the world's most creative people. Poets, performers and painters flocked there. You could scoop up the atmosphere with a spoon, Merka said. Some came for the food, some for the wine, but they all stayed for Merka. Happy birthday to you. Mirka laughed and smashed her face into her cake. You must all now eat every last crumb, Mirka told the crowd. Eat it off the table, eat it off the floor, eat it off my face, or else you don't love me. Everyone soaked up Mirka's joie de vivre, her joy for life. And she soaked up their talent. Her artist friends shared their tubes of paint and pots of ink. Merka studied their work. I drink them in with my eyes and brain, she said. And soon, Merka was a fully-fledged artist herself. Every surface was a blank canvas. She painted walls and windows. She painted spoons and saucepans. She didn't stop. I have to listen to my hand, she said. The drawing comes before I know it. When Merka visited Melbourne's famous train station, Flinders Street Station, she spotted an empty wall and declared, This wall is mine. If I was a dog, I would pee on it. But instead of peeing on the wall, Merka transformed it into a mural. She spent many months painting and piecing together tiny mosaic tiles into an intricate array of angels, birds, flowers and fantastical half-human, half-animal creatures. Merka literally left shiny trails across the city, just like the snails she set free as a child. She painted trams, she painted more murals, she painted for plays and puppet shows, And when she wasn't painting, she sculpted and sewed. Mirka made soft dolls she described as 3D versions of her paintings. She started doll-making workshops and thousands of students signed up. Mirka cried happy tears as she watched children walk home cuddling their creations. 
The critics say I'm naive, Merka said. I say that I haven't lost my innocence. Merka never stopped collecting toys and proudly pushed teddy bears in prams through the streets of St Kilda well into her 80s. Bonjour, Merka waved when people stared. Never grow up. Merka built a joyful, colourful, imaginary world of goodness, but she always carried the memory of the faces she left behind barbed wire. Sometimes the wide-eyed reminders of her past appeared in her paintings. The truth, you have to remember, Merka said. But I'm still an optimist, and I still think there will be a beautiful world one day. Merka had found her freedom in Melbourne, but she also taught Melbourne how to feel free. To be yourself, with joie de vivre. This episode of Fierce Girls was supported by our friends at the National Gallery of Australia. It was recorded on the lands of the Gundungurra people, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. If this has inspired you to get arty, there's colouring in sheets of all our Fierce Girls to download on our website. Break out the pencils, textures and paints and go crazy. And if you're a teacher or a parent teaching from home, did you know you can bring Fierce Girls into your classroom? We have a bunch of free educational resources that go along with the show. Great for empowering the kids in your life. They're on our website at abc.net.au slash fierce girls.